praising boys to be men. Malaysia rises almost to the top one more time. And payback in style. A Karen gets her comeuppance. You gotta see this. <laughs> Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Hello, happy Wednesday, middle of the week. Uh, not so happy a Wednesday for the folks in the southern, eastern U.S. Hey, Aldwin Wong, what's up? Hey, good to hear from you. All right, nice to have you in. Um, yeah, we wanted to, before we get started on the show, we wanted to, uh, whoa, Miko is raring to go. You hear her? <laughs> That's her downstairs screaming. All right, anyway, before we get started, we wanted to wish our, fr our friends and fans in Florida, uh, be safe. Uh, the very latest updates, which I've got here from uh, Newsweek, uh, Hurricane Ian, uh, Florida's bracing for what could be a Category 5 storm. Um, Serena Lee's like the stream. Thank you, Serena. Good to hear from you. Yeah, you guys in Florida, you are on the east, on the west coast of Florida, the Gulf Coast, potentially in for a uh, for a nightmare. Uh, Florida, uh, Hurricane Ian now intensified to a category. This is all within the last hour. Now, in Florida at this moment, they are 12 hours behind us. So it is Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock uh, there. Uh, it's now a Category 4, expected to make landfall today. Stormy conditions, flooding already has been reported in areas like Key West, which is where I used to live. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has said 2.5 million Floridians have already evacuated their homes. Warned Tuesday night the window for evacuations was coming to an end. Yeah, oof, Florida is right. Uh, he also expressed, DeSantis expressed his gratitude for the support of President Biden, who offered federal assistance in a phone call between the... Oh, he finally managed to call. Okay. Uh, the storm hit Cuba Tuesday. State media reported a power outage caused a blackout impacting the entire island of Cuba. Rain, flash floods. It's been gathering momentum since it was first categories, uh, categorized as a tropical depression in the Caribbean several days ago. If you don't know, if you're not into weather that much, I've always been a weather geek. It starts out as a low-pressure system, then becomes a tropical depression, then becomes a hurricane. And it starts as a category one, two, three, goes all the way up to five. Five is the worst. I have been through a category five hurricane when I was in Key West working for the Sheriff's Department. It ain't fun. Now, something I mentioned in our last stream, and I'm going to say it again, if you are new to Florida, because Florida's got a lot of new residents, folks who've moved there from California and New York, getting away from all the crazy liberals and all their ridiculousness. So there are a lot of new people living in Florida who likely have never seen a hurricane before, and certainly not one Florida style. If you are one of those people, Reach out to your native Florida neighbors and find out how to deal with this. It's almost too late. This thing is supposed to make landfall today. Uh, clouds from the approaching hurricane darken the sky in St. Petersburg, Florida. That's this picture here. Ian expected to make uh, landfall in the Tampa Bay area Wednesday night into early Thursday morning. So you've got about another eight, ten hours to go before... Uh, it may very well make landfall. Again, that's according to the latest projections. This news from Newsweek is, like I said, about an hour old. So 
keep up to date, keep up on the latest, and uh, keep yourself safe, Florida. All right, let's uh, find out about what's happening in the life of our favorite furry little girl. And that would be her. Miko update. Yeah, the Miko update. Okay, so you got a little cheat. You got to see her picture before uh, we ran her opening. Uh, you know, producers. Uh, anyway, yeah, there was this literally was her about two or three hours ago when we went for our walk tonight. And uh, we sat in the park for a bit so Dad can rest his calves. And uh, she felt like being photogenic. So uh, that was some shots I took of her. Uh, she is never off-leash unless it's a closed, gated fenced-in area because, you know, Shiba Inu, she'll be gone. And she also got a chance to stalk her favorite prey. Now, look, before you go crazy about this, Shiba Inus were raised to be small game hunting dogs. So in our neighborhood, we've got scrats, I call them. They're little shrews. You see that right there? I don't know if you can actually see that, but right there by my mouse is one of those little, I call them scrats because they look just like scrat from Ice Age. And she will stalk those, th- there it goes, she will stalk those things forever. Um, <laughs> so there, she's still hunting for it. She she hasn't caught one yet. She's come close. Yeah, well, they're kind of squirrels, I suppose. But to me, they look like a scrat. If you look at them close, they look exactly like scrat from Ice Age. So I call them scrats, and Miko knows what a scrat is. When I say, where's a scrat? She will look look around. (laughs) So, yeah, she absolutely knows what those things are. All right, uh, she's doing very well, though. Thank you. And uh, our Miko update is brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox.com. It's a subscription service. You get it once a month. You sign up for one month, six months, 12 months. It's available in the U.S., U.S. territories, and Canada. Or if you have, if you're in another part of the world where they don't ship to, you have one of those forwarding shipping services, you can also sign up. And if you use our special link, it's BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O, you will get a free extra month. If you sign up for six months, you'll get seven. Sign up for 12 months, you'll get 13. So you get a free extra month just for signing up using our link. What do you get? Well, every month you'll get a themed box of amazing toys and treats for your little furry friend and trust me your little furry friend and you will love it you get dog toys different sizes depending upon how big your dog is you can specify Uh, you get treats that are all natural all good for you and a dog chew every month the box is themed according to whatever that month might be Halloween, back to school, autumn, winter. I'm sure there's a Christmas box, things like that. So, yeah, check it out. BarkBox.com slash Miko is our special link. You'll find it in the show notes tonight down there. It's the very first link at the top. And uh, by all means, go check them out. Sign up if you're in the U.S. or U.S. territories or Canada. And uh, you, you will not be disappointed. Trust me, these folks are really cool and they do a really really good job of uh providing you with the goodies that your little dog is gonna love all right our top story tonight raising boys to be men this is from the epic times not really the site i would depend on for a lot of stuff but this i found was a really cool article and uh 
Teach them to be confident protectors and providers with advice from an 1886 publication. Wow. Check out the link to this article. It's in our show notes. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just do some highlights. But it's quite cool, and there's some really good advice in there. Uh, if you have a son, daughters, you know, I can't tell you. I don't have a daughter. If you have a son, this will help. Because, you know, with this whole woke crap and this identity thing and this pronoun bullshit, you know, can you blame kids for being confused these days? If you're young, marriageable woman these days, or even if you're the parent or grandparent of one, you probably ask the following question once or twice. Where are all the good men? To be sure, no shortage of males, but there just doesn't seem to be any real men type, those who embrace masculinity. Oh, the liberal left is going to hate this part of my show. I can't wait. The protector, the provider roles that traditionally come with it. Pointing out that many of today's men are weak isn't an attempt to bash them. Indeed, bashing and tearing down the male sex is probably one of the many reasons they've become feminized. In addition to the coddling, soft environment in which they've been raised. Instead, look to the future. Seek to ensure today's boys will turn into tomorrow's men. Ready to lead, work hard, and raise strong families of their own. Where do we start? As many of the male sex turns uh, increasingly effeminate... Models of traditional manhood decrease. In fact, in many homes, there is no male role model. Looking to the past gives us some rather helpful clues in knowing how to raise today's boys to be tomorrow's real men. This uh, author found one of those models in an 1886 publication. Items of Interest, Volume 8, and under the topic heading, Don't Undervalue the Boy, it lays out a game plan for raising men. That's really pretty valid still today. Again, it goes into the description. I'm not going to go through this, but just the headlines of their suggestions is have confidence in young boys. Adults tend to treat little boys like babies a lot longer than they should. Let boys know what you think about them, that they are trustworthy individuals, not helpless creatures who can't do anything right. I love this one. Encourage curiosity. Encourage them to ask questions. The best question, why? How does that work? It, it, do everything you can to encourage your kid to be curious. That applies male and female, by the way. Let them work with their hands. We did a story on our last show about this woman who let her kid go out and play in the dirt, eat dirt, work on their immune system, Give them a chance. Instead of being afraid to let kids, you know, play with things, put them in the safety helmet with a face shield and big goggles and knee pads and elbow pads and body armor. Let them play. Let them work with their hands. Don't assume it's your mini-me. This is interesting. Parents very naturally want their sons to follow in their footsteps. That only makes sense. Such a desire is okay, 
but only as long as it doesn't lead him into thinking that their son will or won't be interested in a certain activity just because you are or are not interested in it. Don't assume your son is a mini you. So there you go. Again, this article goes on and on. There's explanations for everything here. And it's very cool. I encourage you to check out the link. It's in our show notes. Just click on that. It will open in a new window. You can read this. It's from the Epic Times. And seriously, it raising boys to be real men. We are missing that in our society today. And we need desperately to get back to that. Zachary Ung has liked the stream. Zach, hey, good to see you. All right, nice to have you along for the ride. You know, I got to tell you, when I was working in the sheriff's department in our detention center, we had someone in there whose surname was Ung, N-G. And it was funny because I was the only one who knew how to pronounce this guy's name, Ung. And, and all the other deputies couldn't figure it out. They're like, hey, dude, NG, come over here. It was like, it was so embarrassing. But for some reason, because I guess I just, I'm part Asian, I suppose. I was the only one who was actually able to pronounce his name. Ng, ng. Yeah. <laughs> all right. There you go. Oh, man. Just one of those weird throwback things to my days in Key West and Monroe County, Florida. They were good days, though, although right now I'm not sure I'd want to be there. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Uh, we did the sons growing up to be men. Now we're going to tick off the other half of the liberal, you know, let their minds go and explode. And I don't care. It's my show. If you don't like the things I talk about, find another show. Anyway, this is brilliant. Please stick around for this. Whether you agree or not, I don't care. But listen, just listen. The link's in our show notes. It's a Facebook post, public post, from Hazel Koinonia. And I am hope I'm, I pronounced her name correctly. And it is brilliant. It is brilliantly written. I shared this on my Facebook page. I encourage you also to share it. Uh, hypocrisy is us black people. Hazel is black. Okay, I've been following these debates. I understand both sides. We can establish that the two major debates among representation is Black Ariel, Black Elvis, and even Black Targaryens. So I'll say this. Yes, I know these are fictional characters, but as a writer of stories, I try to respect the culture the characters I'm writing about is from that people will immediately identify with. Folklore is culture. Let me repeat that. Folklore is culture. It's the stories we hear from our grandparents, teach us lessons. Those stories stay with us through life as part of a cultural inheritance. If Bemba writer, who is interested in writing a fantasy game based on Bemba folklore wrote a story about the gods and goddesses of the Bemba engaging in a war with the Lozi gods over the empire land of Zambia, we would expect the depiction of those gods to be black. Because for sure the writer is imagining them as black and indigenous to the people who carry them 
as part of their culture. Similarly, I would expect a Greek writer writing about Greek folklore to imagine their characters as white because they are white. If a screenwriter picks these stories up and says, hey, these are great stories, let me write a script and relay it to big producers who can adapt these stories and see how it goes, then for sure, the director, in his normal mind, will have to hire actors who are the skin tone of the characters in the folklore, despite them being fiction. They belong to a culture of people. Well, now that we have that settled, in the case of The Little Mermaid, without a doubt, it is a Danish man who was the creator of the story. It was written for the Danes, who are European. Ariel is imagined to be from the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, And uh, at least that's where King Triton rules the seven seas from. So, yes, the creator imagined that Ariel was white when he wrote that folklore. She is white. That doesn't mean the writer isn't aware that the Atlantic Ocean obviously touches other continents like Africa, South America, and such. It doesn't mean the writer isn't aware there's a possibility of the mermaid being black or Latina, uh, because the waters touch those lands too, right? But he was Danish and wrote it for Danish kids, and they are European. She was imagined as a European mermaid, period. Similarly, an African from Cape Town could have written about an African mermaid from the Atlantic Ocean who speaks Zosha, or as a white South African mermaid who is of Dutch descent and speaks Afrikaan. We should see nothing wrong with either of those scenarios, as it is an actual fact and the reality of the people living there. Lord of the Rings, based on European folklore. You get the the idea. Now, this writer says, My problem with black people is that we have a... She is also black. We have a plethora of folklore. So many tribes, so many stories. In fact, if we gathered all of them, they would outweigh any mythology that currently exists. The only African mythology to even be used creatively is Egyptian mythology. And there is where it ends. But we have plenty. If you're mad that some people decided to highlight their mythology and make creative stories from them, and you cry about representation, where are the black novelists or animators or creators doing African mythological stories or writing African sci-fi or African fantasy based on African mythology. Where are they? No one will tell our stories for us, market them, hype them on our behalf. No one but us. The thing with black people is it's just easier to toss blame and rant and complain. That's why they can even steal some things knowing that all you'll do is rant and complain. Exhibit A saying, oh, they whitewashed black characters and some of the things we watch. And it ends there. To y'all, it just feels nice to blackwash a white character instead of enabling yourself to produce what you want to see on screen or wherever. Even Black Panther was written by white people and illustrated by white people, but they did it so carefully to respect the lore and the culture 
of different African cultures they were inspired from. So I give Stan Lee and Jack Kirby kudos for that. But see, it even took a white man to write a black story. Then today, Ada Ayoshani, whatever that means. You either play the game or you get played. Can't have it both ways, really. Not everything is about racism. You're just being lazy. Wow. We love that. Written by Hazel Koinonia. And uh, wow, that that is so well written. Hazel herself is black, African-American, I believe. And uh, it's an absolutely brilliant piece. Share it if you can, on your social media. It's a public post. I put the link in our show notes. Aldwin says, I don't mind Ariel being played by Halle Berry, uh, Bailey. Uh, even the original voice actress of Ariel approves of Disney casting her as Ariel. Uh, where are the people complaining about King Triton being played by a Spanish actor? <laughs> Again, I'm going to go back to what Hazel says. The original folklore on which the story was based. That's how these ought to be cast. And to all the African-American and black writers, screenwriters, story writers, as Hazel said, you have more culture and more folklore and more mythology in your culture than you could ever write in a million years. Use it. Write it. Tell those stories. They are just waiting there, dying to be told. All right. Let's, uh, let's, again, the link's in our show notes. Please do check it out. Read the whole article. It's a personal statement from Hazel, and uh, it's, it's brilliant. All right. Malaysia, Malaysia, Malaysia. We did it again. We made it almost the top of the charts. <coughs> Excuse me. The quote says, it's just the politicians. That may be true. Malaysians have been shocked to discover that we are ranked number two, the second most racist country in the world. Take a look at this chart. Number 14, Indonesia, our neighbors to the south. Singapore's 73. I yeah okay maybe Philippines at uh, 47 but then the top 14 the US is ranked number 13 you know in spite of what you may see on the idiot mainstream media for the most part most of the places across the US racism is not a problem seriously trust me I know I lived there a long time Greece, number 12, Mexico, 11, Brazil, going up from 10 all the way to uh, number one, France, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Bolivia, Trinidad and Tobago are number five. What is that? Oh, Peru, number four, Guatemala, number three, number two, Malaysia. Beaten only by the most racist country in the world, South Africa. Wow. Scary. 
We undoubtedly have our share of racism, discrimination here in this country. Uh, the patriarchy is both disgusting and absurd. But uh, the U.S. being number uh, 13 is still considered racist. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're correct. You know, I mean, this number should all be, you know, zero, zero, zero. But that's not the world we live in. Uh, but yeah, 13 isn't a great rating either. Uh, I don't know what the top was, whether the total thing was, you know, how many they indexed. Uh, it was a survey done by Index Mundi, <clears throat> comprehensive data portal with the country level facts and stats. Malaysia ranked second most racist in the world. There you go. Check out the article. It's in our show notes tonight and you can uh, read the whole thing, get all the, uh, all the gory details there. It ain't pretty. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. You know, I told you we got a bunch of weird stuff tonight. Our first couple topics took a lot of time, but that's okay. All right. You ready for some comeuppance? I love this. I love this little backstory. A lady had her rear window in her pickup truck replaced, and she wasn't happy about it. In fact, she was very unhappy about it, to the point where she wanted a refund. So the shop owner gave her her refund. Mechanic gives woman her refund after she didn't like her newly installed rear windshield. And then this happened. If you're listening on the podcast, check out the link in our show notes and uh, check out the video. She is getting out. You know, look, just look at this. Sometimes you can just tell these people what they're like. There is a Karen if there ever was one. So he gives her back the money because she complains she's not happy with this brand new rear window. That's the, uh, that's the rear window on the truck there. And the shop owner says, okay, fine, there you go. You get your money back. You don't like the window? Bam! There. Now you don't have a window. <laughs> yes! We love that! Yes! The lady's looking around like, huh? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't check out the video for some reason. The shop owner just took a giant two-by-four and smashed out the brand-new rear window that she wasn't happy with. He gave her her money back, so there you go. Go somewhere else, find another one. Uh, Rebeebly, 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 I think is how you say that. Uh, why are you all okay with white people playing characters that are historically other races? Uh, I, I, don't, I would prefer not. If a character was historically black or Hispanic or uh, whatever race, to me, the actor ought to be. And in fact, that comes down to also even Asian races. You know, Americans are so silly when it comes to... They, category, uh, they categorize everybody as Asian, as opposed to someone as Korean or Japanese or Vietnamese or Malaysian or Thai uh, or you know, whatever, Chinese. Those characters ought to be played by people of that race, in my humble opinion. Um, yeah, I, I'm totally not okay with uh, white people playing characters that are historically other races. Uh, so that's a double-edged sword there, and it, it, it cuts both ways. It absolutely does. Uh, I agree with you. It, uh, it, should, it should not be. Uh, exactly. Prince of, yeah, Prince of Persia there. Yeah, good point. Good point. Absolutely. 
you know, and again, I know these things are not always historically accurate. We just had an enormously successful film here in Malaysia. And there were complaints that it wasn't historically accurate. Well, it's a film. It's a fantasy. It's based on historic events, but it's based on. It's not meant to be a documentary. If it was a documentary, different story. This was a fiction piece based on historic events. There's a difference. But, uh, yeah, so there you go. All right, check out this picture. Link's in our show notes. Hang on, I agree, but the difference here is that it's not a real person. When Jesus was, was played by Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, Jesus, who originally, of course, would not have looked like the white-bearded picture that we all see in, in Catholics' homes and homes of Christian people of that faith. Um, it, normally, he's portrayed as a white guy, and there is zero chance he's a white guy. Anyway... <laughs> All right, take a look at this picture. I don't know if this is going to come through, whether you're watching on your phone or on your laptop or wherever it might be, but but take a look at uh, at this. Hang on just one second. Let me try and get over to it. Okay, you see that? Now, if you're listening on the podcast again, please check out the link in our show notes. This one is definitely worth your time to click on the link. You see in this picture, there's that big round black dot where it looks like a part of the picture is missing. It's not. That is a basketball painted with the blackest black paint that's ever been invented. We talked about this before because we did an article about the whitest white. And in that, we talked about the blackest black. No, your screen is not missing pixels. This is a basketball covered with Vanta Black, the world's blackest subject. And this, by the way, is not a race comment, okay? It's, uh, <laughs> but look at that. That literally is a picture of a basketball, but because it is the blackest black on earth, it absorbs nearly 100% of the light that hits it. That's actually a basketball painted with Vanta Black. I'm telling you. We live in such cool times. We live in kind of silly times when it comes to some things. But when it comes to some of the science and some of the inventions that we've come up with, these are some pretty cool times to be alive. All right, I got one more. <laughs> Speaking of painting things black or white, I'm having a hard time believing this is true. Uh, before we get to it, hang on, because uh, Rebibli... Uh, at this point, I just assume to let people do what they want with fictional characters. Yeah, uh, especially because so many stories are written without any people of color. Uh, it's damaging regardless of what people want to think. I can't disagree. Uh, yeah, speaking of which, stories with Asian characters... Coming up after this last article, we're going to continue chapter six of Willie and the Warthog, which takes place in Malaysia with a Chinese family in a Malaysian kampong who befriend a warthog. I wrote the book. 
It's a children's book. I think you'll like it. If you missed the first five chapters, go back to our old streams. You can listen to it. Or you can buy the book. The link's in our show notes at Amazon. All right, one more story, and then I'll move on to the book. But (laughs) take a look. Scientists believe that the function of a zebra's stripes are to deter insects. You know zebras, black, white, black, white, black, white, black, white. Why? To camouflage black and white in the middle of the desert or the Sahara. Ain't that good camouflage. Anyway, a team of researchers painted black and white stripes on several cows. And they discovered it reduced the number of biting flies landing on the cows by more than 50%. (laughs) Serious, huh? How weird is that? They came up with, this is the scientific method, they came up with a hypothesis that the black and white stripes on zebras were because of, to prevent insects, flies, biting flies. So they tried it on cows, and sure enough, more than 50% of the biting flies uh, less landed on the cows. It looks like animal abuse. PETA would sue them. You know what? PETA can go pound sand. PETA's tactics are bullsh crap. And, uh, you know, I am the biggest animal rights supporter on the planet. I would do anything to protect any animal. And I believe that animal abusers, we had a couple of knucklehead moron muttbags here in Malaysia, one shooting at dogs with a bow and arrow. They catch that guy, you lock him up forever. We thankfully have just strengthened our animal abuse laws here in Malaysia. Thank you, government, for doing that. Now enforce them. But having said that, PETA? No. Sorry, above and beyond. PETA's tactics, it's like Greenpeace, same thing. Love the planet, love the environment, can't stand Greenpeace, you people are idiots. Same thing with PETA. PETA is way out of hand. So anyway, yeah, you're right, PETA probably would sue them. But there you go, black and white stripes on a cow, apparently keeps, maybe we should, maybe I should try that. I get a black and white bodysuit. Because we got mosquitoes here. They're horrible. Not probably as bad as like the river gnats in Florida and things. But trust me, the mosquitoes in Malaysia, I saw one carry a small child off the other day. No, not really. Okay. (coughs) Are you ready? (laughs) We're going to uh, move on over to our book once I take a quick coffee break. Oh, that's good coffee. All right. Uh, who? Oh, thank you for following. Appreciate it. Rebibli. Rebibli. Am I saying that right? Rebibli. That's the best I can do. Sorry. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, it's time. It's, uh, it's time. It's Willie and the Warthog. It's a children's book that I wrote about 12 or 13 years ago. And uh, we decided, we read classic books on this show, if you've just discovered our show. At the end of every live stream, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we read books. We've done The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, uh, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, We've got another classic book coming up. I think you're going to love this one after we get done with Willie and the Warthog. But um, somebody, 
suggested, hey, why don't you read your own book? So I thought, why not? I'm rather proud of my work, so I thought, yeah, why not? So uh, without too much further ado, we have gotten all the way up to chapter six. Gwen discovered Ambrosius under the house and was not having any of it. So Bapakai and Willie decided that they'd put him on a leash and a collar whenever Gwen was around. And we'll move on now to chapter six after Gwen had raced off to the store. Later that afternoon, when Gwen returned from the store, she'd stopped screaming, but she was still just as mad as she'd been this morning. When she came slowly around the corner of the house, she was peering underneath to the spot where that creature was. Gwen could see the beady eyes and the huge tusks. She also noticed the warthog was wearing a collar and a leash tied to the house post. Nevertheless, she bent down to the road in front of the house and picked up a rock. Not a big rock, about the size of a rambutan, a Southeast Asian hairy fruit. She took another look just to be sure the face-biting monster really was tied, and then she threw the rock in Ambrosius's direction. Unfortunately, her aim had always been good. Ambrosius was sleeping, and when the rock bonked off the top of his head, he woke up with a start. Not knowing exactly what happened, he rose quickly and lunged forward, snorting and snarling, mouth open, teeth bared. Forgetting he was tied with the leash, he got about one meter, and then with a squawk, he stopped in his tracks and was yanked back. It all actually looked very cartoon-like. When Gwen heard the growls and saw him headed towards her, she screamed and ran up the stairs to the porch. When Willie heard Gwen's screams, he ran from the house to see what was wrong. What's going on? Willie asked, after Gwen had calmed slightly. That thing has just tried to attack me. She didn't mention she'd hit him in the head with a rock. Gwen, first, he's tied to the house pillars. He can go much more than a meter. Second, why would he do that without a reason? As Willie spoke, he was headed down the stairs and under the house to check on Ambrosius. Well, Gwen tried to cover herself and said, because he's a wild animal and that's just what he does. Just then, Ambrosius pushed the rock towards Willie with his snout. Ask her about this, he said. Gwen? Willie held up the rock for Gwen to see. Where did this come from? Having been caught, Gwen resorted to the only defense she knew, throwing her weight around. Willie, that thing is nothing but trouble, and when Papa gets back, I'm going to convince him, and that monster is either going back to the jungle where he belongs, or he's going to meet the business end of Papa's shotgun. Well, Papa did get home, a bit late this particular day, but Gwen and Willie were ready. It was Gwen, of course, who started first. <clears throat> Papa, that face-biting creature cannot live under this house. I don't know why you let Willie play with him. You yourself sit there next to him like your best friends. It's, it's just dangerous, and I don't know why you can't see that. 
Obapakai paused for a few minutes, partly to make sure she was done and partly to gather his thoughts. Gwen, I've always tried to raise you two with an even hand, let you have your own ideas and time. Since Ibu passed, you've done a remarkable job of keeping things together around the house. Now, I understand how you feel. How do you think I felt when I first saw Willie sitting in the jungle with his arms around Ambrosius' neck and scratching behind his ears? Willie almost fell over that Bapakai had remembered his name. Bapa continued, Gwen, I've also tried to teach you that everyone is different in their own way, and apparently that also applies to warthogs. But that doesn't make them bad. It just makes them different. I would hope you could accept that, look at things in a new way. But I leave it to you. Papa sat down in his favorite chair on the porch, which meant he was done. Willie thought after that he'd just better leave things alone and not speak. Gwen, as always, wasn't through. Papa, I love you, and Willie, but there are some things that are just not meant to be. If you intend to allow that thing to stay under the house, well, it's your house. Just make sure that leash is strong enough, and I will have nothing to do with it. I do not trust that warthog. It's always snarling and snorting at me and looking at me with those little beady eyes. It's not normal. As far as I'm concerned, the sooner he's gone, the better. Willie felt like saying, maybe if you didn't throw rocks at him, he wouldn't growl. But again, at least she wasn't insisting Ambrosius go back to the jungle anymore. An odd silence fell over the three of them as they sat there on the porch the rose-red sun just heading behind the distant mountains, and Papa, giving a little grunt, rose up from his chair. Willie, make sure Ambrosius's leash is strong and secure enough. Gwen, thank you for at least trying to understand. Now, I'm going in to start dinner. And with that, Gwen looked at Willie, gave another of her well-known snorts. Willie, trying to avoid an argument, smiled and said he'd be in shortly. Coming up, Chapter 7 and the final chapter in our story of Willie and the Warthog. Will Gwen ever accept Ambrosius? Mm, We'll find out. We'll close up the story coming up in... uh, in our next stream on uh, Saturday night. Aldwin says, Jay, since you love Japanese culture, do you watch anime? Uh, no, I don't. And I'm not really a fan. I, I, you are correct. I am the biggest fan of Japanese culture. Old Japanese culture. My house. <laughs> I'll have to give you a video tour one day. It's like a Japanese museum. I have so many antiques and uh, uh, memorabilia from old, old, old school Japan. In fact, I have a handwritten poetry book that is over 350 years old from a very famous 
a Japanese poet, <clears throat> one of my prized possessions. And in, I also have uh, a, uh, a, uh, a book of um, Hokuzai's uh, drawings, an original woodblock pl uh, print. But uh, no, I'm familiar with Japanese anime, but I'm not really a fan. I, I, I've often said I couldn't give a fig. if I, I've never been to Japan, sadly. One day, hopefully, before I'm croaked, I'll get to go, but that hasn't happened yet. Uh, but if I do, I sadly, I, I couldn't care less about Tokyo. I mean, I'm sure it'd be nice to see, but it's Kyoto and the small towns, uh, the little bits of Japan that are not like it was two, three, four hundred years ago, but are a lot closer to old school Japan than Tokyo is. So, uh, yeah, that is the Japan that uh, my dream number one bucket list item would be to see. Uh, and consequently, like I said, anime is just, it's just not my thing. Uh, I understand. I appreciate it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. I am familiar with things like Dragon Ball Z, <clears throat> but, uh, but no. I, I don't watch that part, uh, nor do I particularly enjoy that part of uh, the Japanese culture. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to do it for us for tonight. Thanks for popping by. We had a great show, and we're going to get some new viewers out there, too. Thank you. Please do like and subscribe to the show, whether you're watching on Twitch, YouTube. Rumble.com is our main channel. Thank you, Rumble.com. And, uh, of course, Facebook Live also. We've got a big audience over there. And our podcast, the audio part of our show, it gets put out there about 20 minutes after we're done being live here. And then you can listen to the podcast. Find us on all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Geo7 in India. Uh, we've got our podcast out there across the planet. Just look for The Jay Sheldon Show and click follow or subscribe. That's it. You're done. You got it. All right. Speaking of Rumble, by the way, Rumble is growing in leaps and bounds. They're now listed on the NASDAQ. And Russell Brand, who I am a huge fan of Russell Brand, is now going to be doing a live show just like ours. Well, not just like ours, but like ours. Uh, I think three or five nights a week on Rumble, exclusively to Rumble. So check out, while you're here on Rumble, check out Russell Brand. Fantastic guy, great uh, commentator. Love his show. I, I rarely miss an episode of Russell Brand. And if you are, uh, just go to rumble.com. You can sign up for a free account. Doesn't cost anything. It's just like YouTube. You get a free account. You don't have to upload videos there. You can just consume all the videos that are there, including, of course, our show. While you're there, check out the Jay Sheldon Show and click subscribe over there at rumble.com. They are making all kinds of... Uh, Tate's there now. Dan Bongino, also in a show that I never, ever miss an episode of. And, uh, yeah, there's lots and lots of good stuff. And it's not just all political stuff. There's funny videos. There's cat videos. There's horse videos. There's all kinds. News, sports. It covers everything. It really does. Rumble.com is a damn cool channel. You don't know what you're missing till you check it out. Sign up for a free account. And then please give us a follow while you're there. See you Saturday night. This is and has been and forever will be the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night.